This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. If you or a loved one is struggling with drug or alcohol addiction and are serious about getting help, call us now at 855-820-2797. You can get clean and sober in as little as seven days. Your insurance company may cover 100% of all costs with little to no out-of-pocket expenses. Our trained addiction specialists are available 24-7 and all calls are free and confidential. Just call us at 855-820-2797. How much longer are you going to suffer with addiction? Let us find you the best treatment center that fits your unique needs. Call us now at 855-820-2797. Glenn Beck, The Blaze Radio Network. Two presidents that almost nobody knows anything about. Harding and Coolidge. In 1923, America lost its sixth president to die while still in office, Warren G. Harding. He had served half of his first term, but what a two-year period it was. He and Vice President Calvin Coolidge had, through swift, decisive actions, not to mention non-actions, catapulted the nation out of a deep depression in just one year, leading the Depression of 1920, often being referred to as the Forgotten Depression. Across the country from President Harding's untimely death in San Francisco, the vice president was visiting his Vermont family home. It was a comfortable yet simple homestead with no electricity and no telephone connections. It was so isolated from the outside world that a messenger had to be dispatched to the house to alert the vice president that he was now the commander in chief. Quickly awakened at 2.47 in the morning, August 2nd, 1923, by the dim glow of a kerosene lamp, his father, a notary public, swore in his son, Calvin Coolidge, as President of the United States. Worn out from the day's events, the 30th President took his wife's hand, and together they walked back upstairs and went back to bed there would be time enough after daybreak to reflect on the momentous occurrence that had just swept them into history. Coolidge had been successful and very popular in every political office he had ever held, and he had a lot of them. He was city councilman, city solicitor, uh, clerk of courts, Massachusetts state congressman, state senator, governor, vice president, and now the president of the United States. The only election he ever lost was an early run for the local school board, which he lost because he had no children at that time. And the people wanted to see that his kids would be affected by every decision he made. Upon taking office, there were some serious scandals that were starting to take shape involving Harding's cabinet appointees. David Petruza explains how he handled them. It's very important right off the bat is to restore faith in the federal government, which had been tarnished very badly by the scandals of the people serving under his predecessor, Warren Harding where the Secretary of the Interior is going to go to jail, Albert B. Fall, the Attorney General, Harry Daugherty, is going to be indicted. There are massive scandals in the Veterans Administration. And what does Coolidge do? Does he try to cover them up? Does he make excuses for them? No. So with the backdrop of the Harding scandals, how did Coolidge restore America's faith in the executive branch? He appoints two special prosecutors, a Democrat and a Republican, and he says, 
go to it. And when that Harry Doherty fellow, the attorney general, refuses to cooperate with Congress, he tells him to hit the road. And in doing just a few simple, fair, honest things, he turns around the American public's opinion of Washington and of Republican administrations. And that is no small accomplishment. This was the character of Calvin Coolidge. As governor of Massachusetts, he believed that taking on the unions during the Boston police strike would ruin him politically. But he did it anyway, and he became wildly popular as a result. He put principle over party and his own ambition, and the people loved him for it. Coolidge was a man of few words. In fact, his nickname back then was Silent Cow. As he boarded the train to head back to Washington, D.C. to take his office, he was asked if he was ready to be president of the United States. And his only reply was, I believe I can swing it. And swing it, he did. Obsessed with shrinking the size of the federal government, Coolidge met repeatedly with his budget director. After he and Harding slashed the budget from $18.5 billion to $6.4 billion, Coolidge cut it in half again to $3.3 billion. Can you even imagine, especially with us now living in a time where we can't agree on a 1% cut? He addressed the nation over the new medium called radio. He was the first president to do so, and he laid out his tax plan. Here is the actual voice of Calvin Coolidge. The expenses of the government reach everybody. Taxes take from everyone a part of his earnings and force everyone to work for a certain part of his time for the government. Coolidge had a way of personalizing the issue for Americans. It represents all the pay of five million wage earners receiving five dollars a day, working 300 days in the year. If the government should add 100 million dollars of expense, it would represent four days more work of these wage earners. These are some of the reasons why I want to cut down public expense. I want the people of America to be able to work less for the government and more for themselves. Obviously, Coolidge was a substance over style type of guy, though his dry sense of humor was pretty memorable. Famously, he didn't talk much, if he didn't have to, and once at the White House dinner party, a woman sitting next to the president tested this truth. She leaned in and she told the president... I bet my friend that I could get more than two words out of you tonight. Coolidge's reply? You lose. And though he certainly didn't have the communication skills of some of the politicians who would come in after him, what he did have was a steely constitutional resolve. The top tax rate when he first took office was 73%. By 1925, he had slashed that to 25%. And in 1923, the nation received what most economists consider full employment, 2.4%. Coolidge was so concerned about cutting the federal budget that he even got down to the type of mailbags carriers used on their delivery for the Postal Service. The ones they were using were striped. That was more expensive than this, the canvas bag that he insisted they switch to. 
1924, President Coolidge had gained enormous national popularity. Economically, the Roaring Twenties were now underway. Socially, he had granted American citizenship to the Native Americans and had stood up to the KKK. Under the racist Woodrow Wilson administration, the Klan experienced a massive rebirth. But Coolidge sought to shut them down. Of the Klan's motto, America First, Coolidge said, The generally expressed desire, America First, cannot be criticized. It is a perfectly correct aspiration for our people to cherish. But the problem is how to make America First. It cannot be done by the cultivation of national bigotry, arrogance, or selfishness. Hatreds, jealousies, and suspicions will not be productive of any benefits in this direction. Here we must apply the rule of toleration. And by toleration, I do not mean indifference to evil. I mean respect for different kinds of good. Whether one traces his Americanism back three centuries to the Mayflower or three years of the steerage is not half so important as whether his Americanism of today is real and genuine. No matter by what various crafts we came here, we are all now in the same boat. If that last line sounds familiar, it's because a generation later, civil rights leader Martin Luther King would borrow that line from Coolidge in his own writings. Why is Calvin Coolidge not celebrated as one of the greatest presidents in American history? In 1924, with the election looming, the Republican Party begged the popular president to run for his own term. And finally, he agreed. But on June 30th, just a few weeks after being officially nominated by the GOP, Coolidge gathered his family, wife, Grace, 17-year-old son, John, and 16-year-old Calvin Jr., to pose for photographs at the White House. It was a formal session of photos, so by the time it ended, the two teenage boys couldn't wait to change out of their uncomfortable suits that they had been wearing for far too long in the summer heat of Washington, D.C., and into the attire suitable for a tennis match on the White House courts. Calvin Jr. was so anxious to get out to face his brother on the tennis court that he wore no socks with his tennis shoes. The two boys engaged in spirited and a hotly contested set in the burning D.C. sunshine. But the constant rubbing against his exposed feet on his shoes soon caused Calvin Jr. an uncomfortable blister on one of his toes. So the pair stopped their match a little early and went inside the residence. The next day, the pain from the blister intensified and Calvin Jr. developed a very high fever. His toe had already become badly infected. Calvin Jr. was in a lot of pain and his father, the president, was so overcome with worry that he could barely execute his presidential duties. He would conduct meetings on one end of the White House complex and then quickly retreat to his son's bedside every chance he got. On July 3rd, 1924, his condition became so serious that they took him to Walter Reed Medical Center, where the best doctors in the nation converged to try to save the president's son. This is the day before the time before penicillin when sepsis infection could prove fatal and it does and the scene of calvin coolidge at his son's deathbed uh is incredibly heart-wrenching and he is quite shattered by this 
lost his son, as anyone would be. He writes in his autobiography that all the joy of being president departed at that point. This would be a turning point for not only the Coolidge family, but also the nation. President Coolidge would never be the same again. It was said from then on he likely suffered from clinical depression. The loss of his youngest son was more than he could bear. But Coolidge somehow pressed on anyway. In November, he swept to victory in a gigantic landslide in a three-person race, taking 382 electoral votes to just 136 for Democrat John Davis and 13 for the third political candidate, Robert La Follette. The popular vote was massive as well, with Coolidge winning 54%. Yet, as civic-minded as he was, as committed to making a difference for his country he had always been, Calvin Coolidge derived no pleasure from winning the election to the highest office in the world. After his son died, Coolidge still got through all his tax cuts after Calvin died, but the mood was different. Through his personal tragedy, America's 30th president continued to work hard for the American people. His accomplishments, his setbacks, and his legacy in the next episode. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. Are you as excited about your kids being online on the internet as I am? I feel like I'm always playing catch up with the latest apps and sites that my kids have access to. All the good and all the bad is always there, but I'm not always there. That's why I want to tell you about Hero Parental Control. Hero is a high-tech tool that helps you stay ahead of the game. Activity from all of your family's devices can be filtered, monitored, and even tracked via GPS from one easy dashboard that you have. You can adjust all your filters. Material that might be healthy for a teen can be harmful to a young child. It works on all of your devices, including your mobile. It's easy to set up, intuitive to use, and it stays up to date with ever-changing technology. It's going to make the Internet in your house appropriate by your standards, not what society says. So enjoy the good and block the bad. Go to blazehero.com. That's blazehero.com.